A little different sermon today. Uh, Usually uh, we have a chunk of scripture and we read it and then we talk about it or I talk about it. Uh, We discuss it together. And so we have the scripture reading at the top and and we kind of unpack the scripture as we go. This one's a little bit different. It's kind of more on the topical end of things. And so we don't have a a big reading to have at the beginning. So let's just go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for Christ again. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We ask that you would uh, make us into the worshipers you would have us to be in Christ. Uh, And you would do that by your word and through your spirit. Show us who we are and show us who you are. And work on us and change us to be more like him. We thank you for him and it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Now, as humans grow, uh, we typically have to figure out by some method what we are going to do. And so we ask kids all the time, what are you going to do when you grow up? What would you like to be? And the interesting thing is that when we, when we ask this, we approach this as if we have a blank check or a blank slate in front of us. Uh, we tell children, you can be anything you want to be and you can do anything you want to do. You can do it all. You can do anything you want. The sky's the limit. As though we simply just have to make up our minds and that's how it works. And how this works out in practice is that when we start with that question and we say, you can do anything and you can be anything you want to be, what we're assuming is that the person that we're asking this question to is sovereign and they're the king of their own world. And because they are the king of their own world and the whole world revolves around them, obviously to serve them, then they simply just need to make up their mind and do whatever it is that they want. And the best part is we ask a seven-year-old this kind of stuff, right? But when we probe a bit behind the slogans, we begin to understand that we really don't have a totally blank slate. None of us do. And we celebrated our anniversary, and I began to do some thinking. I remember, I think it was around our 15th anniversary as a congregation. I remember Joe Jameson, the chocolate king of Lawrence County, who said something like, uh, we are 15 years old as a congregation, and he likened that to being an adolescent and growing up, and we need to, you know, as we grow older, we figure out who we are and what we're doing. Who we are and what we should be doing in the future. And as our anniversary came around, I began to think about this a bit more. And while I don't think we as a congregation can simply do and be anything we want to be, I do affirm that we can do and be everything that God wants us to be and do. If it was simply up to me, this place would look a lot different. You would only drink Dr. Pepper. Okay? But this, no. We can't simply just do and be anything We don't have a blank slate, but we can do and be everything that the Lord is calling us to do. I'm convinced of that. As we think about, as we think about taking stock during a new calendar year, it's time to revisit these things. 
I am convinced that one of the things the Lord wants any congregation to do is worship. Now, this might be one of those things that we're so accustomed to that we take it for granted that it is something we should be doing. But maybe we've not ever thought through the why we worship. It may be that you have come to worship because you're parents or your grandparents drag you here and your friends have done this and we join them and indeed the church has for many years met during wars, during economic booms, during downturns, through all the seasons. But it's not always wise to do something because we've always done it this way. The flip side of that is it's not wise to simply abandon something because we've always done it this way. Our culture says you should or shouldn't do something because we all vote you should or shouldn't do something this way. And that's not wise either. And it's not wise for us to simply look around at our culture and either do what it does or do the exact opposite of what it does. Well, then we might look to the example of the early church they caught the notice of a governor in a part of the Roman Empire named Pliny, or Pliny, I'm not sure how you say it, Pliny the Younger, who was the governor of Bithynia in the years uh, 111 to 113. And he was writing to Emperor Trajan of the Roman Empire because Pliny was uh, having to put these Christians on trial, and he hadn't come into contact with them. He said, I don't know how to handle them. And so Pliny writes, he says, Is my practice, my Lord, talking about Trajan, to refer to you in all matters concerning which I am in doubt? So I've got some questions for you. For who can better give guidance to my hesitation or inform my ignorance? I have never before, before participated in trials of Christians. So I do not know what offenses are to be punished or investigated or to what extent. Is, who's ever heard this, the letter to to Trajan before, okay. Is, who, who is this totally new to? Okay. Does it shock you a little bit? That at one time, the Christian faith, that Pliny the Younger said, ah, something's going on with these people. Uh, we're, we're putting them on trial. Now, which one should I punish and what for? That shocks us, right? Well, uh, The government may be more or less favorable to you at different times, but it's never your friend. Because it's always trying to be God. I mean, that's just how it works. Okay? So, I've got these Christians hanging around, and I need to know how to treat them, what kind of thing. So he would wind up interrogating these Christians, and some would recant the faith and say, well, no, you know, that was kind of a, it was kind of a mistake that we were worshiping Jesus. And... Uh, we're good with the emperor now. See, I'm going to bow down to this little statue of the emperor. Save their hide. And so as he's doing this interrogation, he learns this about the early Christians, at least the ones in Bithynia. They were accustomed, he's, he's writing this to, to Trajan, they, that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as a god and to bind themselves by oath not to do some crime 
but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, or falsify their trust, nor to refuse or to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food. So this is a description of what the early church in Bithynia was doing. When were they meeting? On a fixed day before dawn. We think 8.15 is early, one day a week. We think 10.50 is early, one day a week. Now, uh, I think maybe one of the reasons they did that was because the Roman, uh, the Roman government at this time didn't recognize Christianity. And so they had to meet together for worship and then still go to work because they didn't, they didn't observe a Lord's Day in the Roman Empire. Okay? And they sang a hymn to Christ as a God. So that's the witness of the early church. They met together on a certain fixed day, early. They sang. And then they would break and come back together for what? For food. Now, we joke about potlucks all the time, right? So, oh, Presbyterian, we're Baptists, we've got to have these potlucks. We like to eat. Well, this has been a part of the Christian church from early days. You'll remember at the church in Corinth, in, in the book of Corinthians, they would have this, these feasts, right? So, it's interesting that we have their witness. But again, we simply don't worship because our parents and our grandparents and our friends came and it was the thing to do or it was not the thing to do or whatever. And we simply don't worship because the early church worshipped. Well, perhaps we're inspired for worship by the experience of the psalmist David who said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord in the psalm, Psalm 122. I was tired when they said to me, let us go, right? That wasn't David's experience. It's mine, perhaps. But again, the fact that David was ecstatic to go to the house of the Lord isn't the reason that we worship. So if it's not for any of these reasons that we've looked at, then why do we worship? This falls kind of hard on my ears because in the 21st century we don't like the idea of somebody commanding. We don't like the idea of anybody being uh, saying that they are in charge of anybody. We, we, in the 21st century, we like to flatten out all things and say everybody's interchangeable. But the reason that the church worships is because we have been commanded to. Now let me soften that for you. We've been invited to. No, we've, we've been commanded to. <laughs> we could simply camp out in the Psalms all over the place and know that. Psalm 29.2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 96.9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him who? All the earth. <laughs> well, we have this God who thinks he's the God of the entire earth, and that's uh, actually he is, right? 
Psalm 99.5, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. And so those are the commands, and if we're uncomfortable with commands, we say invitations, as though God doesn't really have any divine rights to tell us what to do. But he's commanded us to worship him. But what's more than that is that the Lord has also set his people free from their sins so that they might worship him. Touched on it before, but we're going to land on it here. Do you recall the reason Pharaoh was told to let the Hebrew children go from slavery? This is just a sampling. It shows up maybe six or eight times. Exodus 5.1, God's going to send Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. A what? A feast. Hmm. The early church had a feast, and we have a feast, don't we? Verse 16 uh, 716, and you shall say, and you shall say to Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. There's, a, there's an interplay between serving and worshiping. Uh, other places in the Old Testament, God will say, don't go after the other gods to serve them and worship them. So service to God and worship to him are overlapping. Maybe not totally, but they're definitely connected. Moses says this over and over to Pharaoh. Let my people go that they may serve me, that they may worship me, that they may hold a feast with me together in the desert. As a matter of fact, when the people met, uh, when Moses was up on the mountain, he got instructions to say, bring the elders of Israel together and come up part way and we'll have a feast. And so just as the Lord set the Hebrew children free from slavery to Pharaoh so that they might worship and serve and feast with him, so too in Christ the church has been set free from our sin. Because, see, the Pharaoh slavery thing was an actual, it was an actual thing, but it was also a pointer to their sin. As long as they were there serving Pharaoh, they could not serve Yahweh. And we've got the same kind of deliverer that they had, Jesus. And so when we are set free from the, uh, the Pharaoh slavery of our hearts, our hearts are free then to worship our God as we ought. So we might worship and serve and feast with him as he has commanded. And this is why we worship. Because not only has God commanded it of us or invited us to it, no, he's commanded it of us, but he's also the taken the steps in Christ to free us up to become the worshipers we ought to be. What more could you ask for? What God commands, he provides to you in Christ. Who's not winning here? It's amazing. And this is why we worship. So, New Covenant, we don't start with a blank slate when we think about our future. about who we will be and what we will do. And that's part of what this survey stuff was about, is just, just kind of taking stock of where we are. And these questions today were kind of like, Mer. I mean, they kind of felt like, Mer. 
it's broken up in four sections, and the sections will feel different. So if you, you're like, oh, I feel kind of, give the other sections a try, all right? But the reasons that we listed earlier for worship, family history and habits, the example of the early church, David's gladness at coming to the house of the Lord, those examples get it right, but that's not why we worship. We worship because God commanded us to. Now, for sure, family history and habits get it right, and the example of the early church gets it right, and David's gladness at coming to the house of the Lord gets it right, but that's only because God commanded it. So we do it not simply because they spoke favorably of it and do it and did it, but because the Lord calls us to it. They get worship right because of the Lord's commands about worship. So, as we take some time at the beginning of this new calendar year, we recognize that we didn't start from, we, we don't start this discussion. Who are we going to be? What are we going to do? Where are we going? Well, in one sense, there's nowhere to go but to Christ. Right? Worship. The question is, how are we going to do it? Right? Are we going to meet before dawn? Anybody up for that? I'm not. I'm definitely not up for that. But you would think it is because we're, we're kind of like, oh, man, i got to get to church at 815. Well, okay, it's not before dawn, but uh, it is kind of early. And so, again, as we take some stock at where we are and think about where the Lord would have us to go, we can't simply be anything we want to be, but we can be and do what he desires for us. I am convinced that he did put us out on the corners for a reason, and he put us here in Laurel for a reason, and we're going to take some steps to try to hone in on why that might be. But whether he had put us here or 10 miles that way or 10 miles that way, this part doesn't change. We've been called to worship. Why? Because God calls all his people to worship. As a matter of fact, the song said that you and I were made for worship, right? And he freed us from our slavery to our sins so that we might worship. And so when we are worshiping, when we come and worship the Lord, we are actually operating according to the owner's manual of how we're supposed to run, right? We're fulfilling our purpose of glorifying God and enjoying him forever through worship. And he has freed us from our sins so that we might worship him as we ought and as he deserves. And you know what? That's good news for you right here and right now. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask you to help us to worship you as we ought and worship you in the way that you desire as you've shown us. And so, Father, um, help us to, uh, to be discerning in the how and why, or no, in the how and when. And, uh, Father, help us to always come worshiping through the Lord Jesus because you have dressed us in the finest robes of righteousness that belong to him. So, Father, whether we show up here at 815 or 1050, help us to help everyone who comes into this room to be dressed in the robes of Christ. And, Father, if there's anybody in here today who's not taken that opportunity to trust Christ, we ask that they would turn from their sins this morning and put their trust and faith in him so that they might begin to worship as they ought. But, Father, for the rest of us, uh, continue to lead us and guide us as a congregation. And we ask that we might have the peace of Christ as we wait for him to return, the love of Christ as we act in your kingdom, 
and the grace of Christ as we speak to others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.